Welcome to On Conscious. This is episode 12. Is there any transparency in fragrance? An interview with me, Liz Cook, hosted by health writer Lucy Bode. Welcome to On Conscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. In today's episode, health writer Lucy Bode interviews me. Lucy has always had an interest in health and wellness, but after a diagnosis with Hashimoto's thyroiditis six years ago, her pursuit of health became much more important to her. Starting with diet, sleep and exercise, Lucy eventually started to investigate the products she was using on her skin and how they impact health. A recent serendipitous meeting with me opened up a whole new world to investigate, synthetic fragrance, which she had never considered before. It had never ever crossed my mind that I should be looking at my perfume and what it had in it because I had always thought perfume was, it was fragrance and essential oils and maybe some alcohol. I didn't know that that was doing any damage to myself or the environment and it's that old cliche, you don't know what you don't know. In today's episode, we turn the tables and Lucy chats with me about transparency and fragrance, why synthetics are still used if they're causing harm, and how to compare and choose between natural, clean and synthetic perfumes. So I always use the analogy, if you were um, if you were a foodie or if you're a nutritionist or you just really care about health and let's say you wanted to go and buy a tub of yogurt or whatever it is, if you turn that thing around and 50% of the ingredients are not listed, I can guarantee you're not even going to bother to buy it. You're just going to go, well, I don't even know what's in this. I'm going to choose a different brand, a different product. But we do this all the time with fragrance. So let's jump in. First of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to chat to you today. Me too. I um I I guess today is a little bit different because we're turning the tables and I'm interviewing you. For a little bit of context and background on me, I'm a health writer and I've always really been interested in health and wellness. Uh, and then six years ago, I started having trouble with my thyroid and it ended up being as the result of Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease. But in the process of my diagnosis, I kind of started looking at areas of my life where I could take back control of my health which started with the obvious which is sleep and diet and exercise but then I started addressing what I was putting onto my body and my exposure to toxins and chemicals so that started with cleaning products I was using and shampoo and conditioner beauty products makeup foundation and things like that and Rather than replacing everything at once, anytime I ran out of a product, I switched it for a natural alternative. And I kind of thought I was on top of everything, which is when I met you a few months ago, Liz. And, had, had <laughs> and then never, you went, hang on. <laughs> yeah. It had never, ever crossed my mind that I should be looking at my perfume and what it had in yeah. it because I had always thought perfume was you know, it was fragrance and essential oils and maybe some alcohol. I didn't know that that was doing any damage to myself or the environment. And it's that old cliche, you don't know what you don't know. Um, Yep. And so I guess that's why I wanted to chat to you to share what, first of all, what I've learned from you throughout this process, but also to take that knowledge and share it with people like me who are who feel like they're really clued up on their health and wellness and they want to take things to the next level, but they perhaps don't know where to go or why they should start. Yeah, totally. So first of all, just to pair it right back to someone who has no idea what synthetic fragrances are and why they're so bad for us, why should we care about what we're putting onto our skin? Well, I guess it's the same thing as you're saying about looking, investigating all of your products. It just so happens that fragrance, as with you, is not on our radar because we're, we've sort of been conditioned to think that fragrance is, 
you know, it's only just a smell. We don't think of it in the same context that we think of a shampoo, which we can physically pour in our hand and we suds it up and we feel it and we think about it kind of as we're using it, um, you know, and also there's ingredients on that bottle and so on. So I think by the time most people have found us, One Seed as a perfume company, they're already starting to think as you do about other things that may be impacting their health. So it's not often when people are just, you know, browsing for a nice new perfume that they start to take an interest in natural perfumes. And I think it's really not until we have a health crisis or our children do that we actually start to take stock of everything we're using. And there there does, mm-hmm. does tend to be a bit of a natural process, which most people follow very much along the same lines as you. They start often to look at food first, which is always essential. And as a nutritionist, I you know, we're trained to say food first. Mm-hmm. It's really imperative. But, but they start to kind of go layer by layer. Fragrance is not a layer that most people even consider. And I just think it's because the conversation's not been there. So they're thinking about food. Um, You know, sleep is definitely, these days, is definitely one of the top priorities as well. Maybe it's number three or four. They're changing their toothpaste. They're changing their cleaning products. And they may eventually get down to washing powders and things. But fragrance as a general thing, whether it's a perfume or it's room sprays and things, doesn't necessarily come onto people's radar exactly for the reason you said, which is we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the topics that we know have been covered in the media over you know, years or decades. Um, even, for example, smoking, we know, okay, if you stop smoking, that's going to have these positive effects. We talk about food these days quite often, so we know the impacts of food on conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure and and so on. We do meditation for stress. All of that's out there, but the conversation around fragrance is not there and we'll probably get to why in a minute. Um, But why should you care? Because fragrance has an enormous impact on our health and it's in everything. So it's, you know, you can't go a day if you live especially if you live in the city, you cannot go a day without being exposed exposed to fragrance in multiple formats. So it's when you wake up in the morning and you um, put on your face cream or you put on your makeup, almost everything in your makeup bag and your toiletry bag has got some sort of fragrance in them. And some may be essential oils and natural fragrances, but if they're not natural products, the majority of them are using artificial fragrance. So that's where you start. Um, You might use the bathroom and use a toilet spray. You probably get in a car that's been recently cleaned and has an air freshener in it because you like the smell of that. You go to work, there's probably some cleaning products that have been used at work and it's just layers and layers. Uh, And then if you end up in the shopping center, scent branding is everywhere so the mall itself smells now right but then each individual store smells so by the end of a day if you actually stop and write down everywhere you know if you'd sort of take stock of your day and go I'm going to write down every single exposure to fragrance natural or not that I've had in the course of a day there are layers and layers and layers of fragrance so it's not it's not innocuous because it's not like a one-time exposure and then your body deals with it. It's constant and it's a constant um, barrage of toxic and potentially endocrine-disrupting chemicals on, in and around our bodies all day long, almost from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed and maybe even longer if you're washing your sheets in detergent that has a smell as well. It's almost 24 hours a day. So you should care because this stuff has a massive impact. And we'll talk about that in a sec. In terms of specifically perfume, though, how harmful could just a spritz or two a day really be? Is it one of those things that we should just kind of be like, oh, well, it's not actually that bad if we're having all of this exposure to other fragrances and toxic chemicals? Or is it something we really need to address? I think there's a couple ways to answer that question. And, you know, if you wanted to be a purist, then you would – you know, I would take it this way. We don't have a lot of choice. Well, okay, it's not even about purist. We don't really have a choice in a lot of the things we're exposed to, but we do have a choice in the things that we spray on our body and we eat and so on. You don't have a choice in how your workplace smells. You don't have a choice in how the mall smells or when you buy your online shopping and you open it and it has a fragrance. None of that stuff you have a choice on, but you do have a choice in the products that you choose to use and buy. So one way of looking at it is that if you are 
exposed to all of these fragrance elements in ways you can't control, what impact does it make if you take the elements that you do have control of and make an adjustment? So it tends to be more about minimizing toxic exposure because one thing we do know from research is that it's the accumulated effects of a lot of these ingredients that have the biggest detriment yes it builds up and some of them don't stay in your system some do like synthetic musk which is in about 90 to you know almost 100 percent of fragrance whether you can smell a musk tone or not synthetic musks are in almost every perfume and in pretty much all washing sort of powders and things like that for your laundry those things build up in your system so if you let's say you do two sprays a day it's not two sprays a day and it disappears. It's two sprays a day. F- let's take synthetic musk again as an example. Synthetic musks enter your bloodstream, lodge themselves in your fatty tissue, and often that's around breasts, um, abdominal tissue, uh, you know, like fat around your abdomen. It could be around your organs. All of that stuff, it lodges in those areas and it stays there over time. So it's two sprays plus two sprays plus two sprays as opposed to two sprays clean slate and now every day we're just doing two sprays and then there's other ingredients which is really sorry to interrupt you that's really interesting because I guess especially with fragrance and with perfumes you assume that as soon as the scent disappears it will disappear from your skin as well but what you're saying is it lingers around it does linger around and then on that one you know how many of us spray it Let's say we spray after we get dressed, we make a coffee, we're about to go out the door and we go, oh, I don't smell pretty anymore. I'll just do another couple of sprays because I can't smell it. So most people aren't doing two sprays and they're done. If we're doing two sprays, we probably do another two before we leave the home. Um, So, you know, you might actually be potentially doing four. So then, you you know, you're doubling the Mm -hmm. amount of synthetic musks actually that you're using. That's one issue. Going back again, some of the ingredients don't bioaccumulate so they're not going to necessarily stay in your tissue but it's the repeated exposure that becomes a problem let's say for example to phthalates it's the repeated exposure that becomes problematic to your hormonal system and these ingredients they're not just I guess one one thing that we have to really understand about fragrance ingredients is they actually enter your bloodstream and they have an action inside your body. So many of them actually lock into receptor sites, which are actually designed for estrogen or testosterone and that type of thing. But many of these chemicals actually lock into the estrogen receptor sites because they are a similar shape. And then they essentially displace natural estrogen. You get a buildup in your body of natural estrogen, but then as because some of them act like xenoestrogens, which is essentially synthetic estrogen, they can actually have a massive uh, effect sending your body into an estrogen excess. If you Google estrogen excess, you can see some of those side effects. Um, one of the big ones include many types of uh, hormone-related cancers, breast, ovarian, mm-hmm. you know, you, then you're looking at things like cancers relating testosterone because of the displacement of testosterone in men, for example, or in women. So it's um it's a bit of a slippery slope, but I think we have to get ourselves out of thinking that you spray it, it disappears. Where does it disappear to? You know, remember, I don't know how old you are, Lucy, but but I'm 44. So I remember growing up burning our rubbish and we just kind of, we would go down the back, we'd chuck the rubbish in the burner and we would kind of think, oh, it's disappeared. Like, I think we're all smart enough these days to understand that nothing actually disappears. It just takes on another form. So fragrance doesn't just disappear. Where is it going? Where is it being broken down? Where is it settling? Where is that molecule actually going to? It cannot disappear. We know that from the science that we understand now about about other uh, ingredients and, and products and so on, nothing disappears. So it's trying to get people to shift their perception of what fragrance actually is. And once you understand that and how it can affect your body, I think everybody starts to want to take matters into their own hands and actually be the determiner of their own destiny in in terms of their exposure to fragrance. And just on that, the biggest thing that I've noticed since talking to you about this stuff is that it's so hard to tell by looking at a packet or a label what is in something. The words, there's no transparency in terms of the ingredients that are listed specifically on perfume. No. Um, how do we 
know what products are actually all, all natural or not. Yeah, this is a really tricky area because uh, I guess part of the issue is that perfume is very personal. So if you've been using the same perfume or you love this particular brand of perfume, let's say, and you love, you know, you've got two or three of their perfumes because you really link in with the way that brand makes you feel or the way the perfume makes you feel, it's a massive paradigm shift to actually go, oh, I'm going to have to do a little investigating on this company. We don't want to because we want to stay with the things that give us comfort or joy and things like that. So the problem is that a lot of the perfumes that many of us love, which have been around, let's say, brands that have been around for maybe decades, some of the classic brands, there's even less transparency in those brands because they've been doing the same thing for years, for yes. decades, you know, and maybe even for 100 years in some cases. So where do you start? Well, once you're ready for that paradigm shift and you're ready to actually make the decision to look into the brands that you love, the first thing you got to do is look at the outer packaging. The actual bottle itself, when you take your perfume out of the box, won't give you any information. Essentially, all you've got is the name of the perfume and maybe the volume inside the bottle. The back of the perfume package does have some ingredients listed and it's a little more transparent now than, say, it was 20 years ago where essentially you almost had to list nothing. There are some ingredients listed on the back of that box. Most of them most of us would say, I have no idea what that is, so it's probably fine. I won't even, <laughs> won't even investigate. But what people have to know is that the, the lack of transparency in fragrance is actually protected. So trade secret laws, and if you've read anything that I've written or, Lucy, that you've written after speaking to me or you've heard any of my other podcasts, you'll know that trade secret laws are there to protect fragrance companies and other companies in, let's say, in medicine and so on. It's there to protect their intellectual property. So unfortunately, essentially what the government says is if you can show us, and by the way, nobody is actually demonstrating this, nobody is you know, writing to the government to show them. We're just saying it. We're just saying, oh, it's IP. So nobody ever investigates that. If you can show that the ingredients that you, you're using are proprietary ingredients or that the combination is proprietary, let's say you've got 10 or 100 ingredients and you're saying, oh, I need all of these to mix up my special formula to make it smell this special way, that's actually all you need to do. And there's no processes. There's no applying for special protection. It's just assumed. So when you flip over mm -hmm. that the back of the packet and you're looking for ingredients, there's some things you have to list. So you have to list if there's alcohol, for example. In most countries now you have to list allergens, which allergens just means um, you know, that's, that's a whole another kettle of fish for another time. But essentially allergens are, they can be synthetic or they can be components of essential oils that one of the government governing bodies in perfumery have said that these could cause an allergic skin reaction. So those have to be listed, but we're not talking about listing ingredients that have long-term problems. We're talking about ingredients that could give you hives or an itchy rash, which to me is that's exactly. not even the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, I'm much more concerned about cancer or um, the long term. Have a baby. Exactly. Exactly. So sure. she rash is a, is a short-term thing. So all you'll really see is alcohol, water, an allergen declaration, the word fragrance, which could mean anything up to 200 ingredients and can encompass up to 30% of that formula. And in fact, in one report, which is called Not So Sexy, if, if anybody wants to Google that, it's been around for a while, but it's still very, very relevant. They found that up to 50% of the ingredients are not listed on the back of the package. So I always use the analogy, if you were um, if you were a foodie or if you're a nutritionist or you just really care about health and let's say you wanted to go and buy a tub of yogurt or whatever it is, if you turn that thing around and 50% of the ingredients are not listed, I can guarantee you're not even going to bother to buy it. You're just going to go, well, I don't even know what's in this. I'm going to choose a different brand, a different product. But we do this all mm -hmm. the time with fragrance. We don't know what's in it, but somehow we've been conditioned to just trust that what's in there is probably fine because the age old, the government would do something <laughs> if it wasn't fine. Exactly. Yeah. But also, I think it's when you have an emotional attachment to your perfume, you don't want to know that you it's bad for you. you. You don't want to know. No. no. 
And that's and that's almost a like putting challenge. blinkers on. Totally, and that's a massive challenge. And I think you know I would never want to force people to look. I think you you investigate when you're ready to investigate because you have to be ready. You have to be ready for the information. It's the same with anything. If you if you've got a particular particular political ideal, or if you think of somebody, let's say there's somebody in your family or your friendship group, and you find out something about them that you don't like. There's a time and a place where you have to make an adjustment in your thinking and that's not always instant. So I think people have to be ready to do that investigating. And to me, I just think, look, my job is to educate people, to give the information and to say, here's the avenues that you could follow. Here's the things that you could research when you're ready. But we have to be ready because it's it's a, a big can of worms to open and as you know, Lucy, once you open that can of worms, you can't put the lid back on. It's like you know too no, much, right? You can't. you can't go backwards. Exactly. Yeah. You you can't unlearn things, nope, you unfortunately. Can't You've got to be ready. But something you just said before really hit a nerve with me that there's up to 200 undisclosed chemicals in the fragrance alone. Yeah. Why aren't brands more willing to disclose their formulas if that's the case how why don't they want to help the consumer well it comes down to money i guess you know i I can't think of any other reason why a brand would want to protect their formula if they knew that there were chemicals in there that were iffy you know and it's not even just about Mm -hmm. ingredients that are proven cancer causing or proven endocrine disrupting or proven to have any other negative effects on health some of those actually get you know brands get forced to remove and this has happened many times with for example with synthetic musks there's different classes of synthetic musks that over the years there has been enough evidence and in by the way in some of these cases it's taken 25 26 years of testing and um, convincing <laughs> for the law to actually crack down on some of these ingredients so you're talking using things for a quarter of a century that have been t- harmful, that people have known and scientists have known and brands have known, but they wait to get their fingers slapped really hard and then to be commanded essentially to remove the ingredients. But while things are questionable or being investigated, it's within the company's best interest in terms of financial gain to leave things as they are. You know, I can't think mm-hmm. of any other reason. If you were an ethical company and you found out that something you were doing was causing harm, whether it's to people or the environment or any other issue that matters to you, you would do everything you can to start removing that ingredient to start changing things. But if you're not, um, if really your main concern is to make a really good profit for yourself or your company or your shareholders, you're going to wait until the last second and you're going to you're going to hold off and say, well, there's not enough evidence we may or may not know and blah, blah, blah. And we did this with tobacco. They, they knew in the 19, yes. was it 40s or 60s, that they knew that tobacco was causing lung cancer. And really nobody did anything about it until the early 2000s, right? So insane. And we, we do that with so many other ingredients and, and chemicals and so on. We see it all the time. We see it with drugs. We saw it with Vioxx as a drug a few years ago. You know, people were still using it the day before, and yet that drug had been was undergoing testing for quite some time, but it's a secret. It's a secret. And then all of a sudden it's detrimental. But hang on, it was detrimental yesterday and a month ago and a year ago. So I don't love the way that we work with these ingredients, which is innocent until proven guilty. I much prefer the idea of guilty until proven innocent because it minimizes risk. And to be honest, there's not many ingredients or products where they've been in question and we've said, well, there's not enough evidence yet. There's not enough evidence. How many have actually gone, we've gone back and said, nope, we found it's 100% safe. We were wrong. That doesn't happen. You know, usually we're, you know, 90% or I'm, I'm making up a statistic now, but in majority of cases where there's smoke, there's fire. And so for, for me and for people that I work with and um, when we make products, for example, I would much rather err on the side of caution and leave something out because it could be affecting people now, even though it may not be proven uh, emphatically proven for 25 years. Do we want to wait and harm people for 25 years? No. No. And at the end of the day, you said, you know, why aren't companies doing something about it? Well, 
you tell me. I mean, I'd love to know what other people think. Why do you think that the company you love is still using ingredients that are questionable or banned in other countries? I can't think of any other reason aside from money. Exactly. They're making money and there's a demand for it because I found in my research there's no place to get this sort of information. So it goes back to what we were saying before. People don't know. They don't know how to ask the question. They don't know who to speak to. Therefore, the companies just keep doing what they're doing, which kind of brings me to you know, I'd like your advice on how do you ask a brand what's in their their product? Say if my favourite perfume brand says that it's natural, Mm -hmm. how do I know exactly what they're putting in there and if it's safe for me and my health? Yeah, well, the first thing to definitely do is flip over that box and have a look at the ingredients list. If a company, and I'm telling you none of the big companies do this and very few of the small companies do, but if a company wants to do, wants to give you full disclosure because they value um, your health and they want you to be able to make decisions yourself, they will essentially say something to the, uh, something similar to, you know, like for example, with us, we say nothing to hide and then it lists all of the ingredients. If you see words like fragrance or preservative or whatever, that's more of a grouping. That's not actually ingredients. So if you're looking at words like that, that's a red flag straight away. So if let's say you find your favorite brand, it has a word like fragrance or preservative, or it even doesn't even list anything really, because some of them still aren't listing much at all. Then the next thing I would always do is email the companies or give them a call No doubt mostly you get a bit of um, motherhood statement and it'll be, oh, we only use things that are, uh, that haven't been proven toxic or that proven safe and so on. But one thing without spending 10 minutes talking about this one, because I really want to, (laughs) is that there's a lot of ingredients and the vast majority of ingredients, in fact, 75% of the ingredients that are usable by the perfume and cosmetics companies have never been tested. So to say it's not been proven toxic or it's not been shown to be toxic, to me is a very lazy way of giving yourself permission to use an ingredient that could be harmful. Because if only 25% have been tested and all we're using is this, the ones that have been proven safe or don't have any harmful effects out of that 25%. That's one thing. But to use ingredients that haven't been tested and that haven't been tested long-term and aren't just testing for allergies but are actually looking for links to xenoestrogens and, and, and other um, toxic effects, that's a whole nother ball game. So I have a bit of a, a yeah. problem with that. And there are a few companies that would even call themselves clean fragrance companies that are now saying that sort of thing. We don't use any of the banned ingredients. We don't use any of the toxic ingredients. What they mean is we don't use anything that has been tested and found to be toxic, but they're not saying that they're not using ingredients that haven't yet yet undergone testing. And we're talking about 75% at least of ingredients that haven't been tested. So that's number two. So I guess it requires it requires a little bit of reading between the lines. Oh yes, there there is a lot of reading between okay. the lines in fragrance. Absolutely. So you can't you do have to go in with an open mind to not just look for answers, but look for questions that have not been answered. So if you're asking questions and they're they're kind of diverting your attention into something else, then keep digging a little bit deeper. What I often do. And uh, is I'm a bit cheeky and I kind of uh, take on a fake persona (laughs) and I often email from another email address, which they would never link back to my business because, you know, of course, they're not going to tell me anything as a perfume uh, company owner. Um, And I just email them as a consumer when I when I smell a rat and I have a few times, even in some of the perfume companies that are calling themselves natural, I email them and say, hey, just wondering if there's any synthetic ingredients used in your perfume because I have a few allergies and I just want to be really careful or, you know, I have children, I want to be careful and and so on. And the majority of the time you either get no response, um, so you just will hear crickets. There's been some times where I've just got back a motherhood statement, which is obviously just a copy-pasted one they send to anyone that makes an inquiry and that raises red flags to me. 
then there was there were there have been two times where I've emailed companies that have been calling themselves natural or um, eco-friendly, clean, and so on, that they've said, "Oh yes, we do use a couple of synthetics, but that's only because." For example, lavender can cause allergies. So where we might use lavender, we'll use a synthetic alternative. And okay, that's good that they've told me that now. But if you look at all their branding, marketing, website, ingredient list, it doesn't say that. So you've got to ask the question. You'd questions. never know. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I go. And then then when you've got all that information, you kind of have to look at the information you've got and are you happy with that information and what are you going to do now? And then that's up to you as an individual. Are you going to continue to support that brand? Do you feel like there's enough transparency that they've got your best interests at heart? Or do you feel like there's enough questions that you maybe want to start investigating and going elsewhere? And that's up to the consumer. But surely there's an element that the cosmetics industry needs to play a role in regulating these products and these ingredients more closely? Yeah, and look, they there is starting to be more noise in this area. I think consumers are really getting savvy and smart and making some more demands. So there are some bodies that have started to be a little bit more specific in the way that they do things. And there there aren't necessarily more regulations because the industry is very much deregulated. And aside from the government saying you need to list your ingredients in order of in descending order, so from you know largest quantity to smallest quantity, and you need to have the font size on your packaging at you know four point or seven point or whatever it is. Other than that, they're basically saying, don't do anything naughty, guys, and um, just go for it. Mm -hmm. And that deregulation is problematic. But then if the government took over, that could also be problematic. So it's it really probably honestly requires consumers to demand more because I think things don't really change until we say we're not happy with this and en masse we need to be more active about saying to the companies, you know what, we love your perfume, but we're not going to wear it anymore because we've read about this bit and that bit, we're not happy. And at the end of the day, if enough people start voting with their wallets, that's when things change. We very rarely see things change because the government finds a hiccup and does something about it. There are some um, moves in the perfume industry for there to be a little bit more disclosure, but it's more of a general disclosure. So you can Google and find the European Union um, essentially list of 3,000. I think they call it the transparency list, ironically. It's basically saying we might be using any one of these 3,000 ingredients and they'll list all of the ingredients. But even me as a perfumer with a background in nutrition, so I understand a lot of the science, I'm looking at the list going, this means absolutely nothing. I don't know what it's in. I don't know what it smells like. There are 3,000 chemical names. You know, that they it's call it confusing. the transparency list. It's confusing. It actually almost gives you less transparency. Yeah. So that's one yeah. thing. And I think the other thing is, ironically, there are moves to ban more natural ingredients instead of synthetics. So there's a bit more noise from industry bodies and the International Fragrance um, Association and overarching bodies like that to actually put a stop to the use of naturals and use more synthetics. And I just think, hang on a second, guys, aren't you hearing what we're asking you to do? You know, we're asking for more disclosure. We're asking for companies to, you know, if you've got nothing to hide, put it on the box. Like exactly. I can go and take any formula now and spend 150 bucks at a lab and I get calls a couple of times a year from from labs saying, hey, anything you want to reverse engineer? And it's 150 bucks. And I can take my favorite brand from David Jones and go and get it reverse engineered and then get a chemist to make something up that's so close that you would barely detect any difference. So if that's the case, it's really irrelevant now to protect companies with trade secret legislation because there's no protecting your secrets anymore. And to be frank, Lucy, why do we think that we should protect those kinds of secrets? Because protecting these harm. secrets is actually, it's doing harm. It's doing harm. So it's, you know, it's its the old Oz behind the massive curtain kind of scenario. And when you peel back the curtain, you realise what's actually going on is not okay. So I feel like there's going to start to be a tumble of, all of these things that have been working so well for the industry in their interests over the next decade. But I'm 
feeling a rumble from consumers and I want to feel more of a rumble. They've, they've got to start voting with their feet and making demands of the companies that they love because, you know, you still want to support the, the companies that make you feel good and that you believe in and, you know, maybe your mum used to wear this perfume and it's really sentimental to you. Like we don't really want to give that up, but at the same time we have to start saying to these companies, this is not okay anymore. We know more than what you're letting on. At least give us the full list of ingredients and let us make our own decision. If if, if nothing else, if you're not going to change your formulas, uh, you know, we have to have informed consent. That's in all areas these days. And perfume is just, you know, 30 years behind in this sort of avenue. But, um, yeah, it's up to us to really start investigating and asking, asking more questions of the companies. As a consumer, if I if I want to get behind and and really champion this change and campaign for it, how do I do that? You you said earlier, vote with your wallet and don't buy the product. But is there anything else that I can do to bring about change and make sure that the perfume industry does start to favour the consumer and what they want and what they need? There are some really interesting thing, things happening, not in Australia, unfortunately, as yet, but myself and Mukti from Mukti Organics and Alex Stewart from Low Tox Life have been having some conversations around this. So we'll be talking about some ways that we can take larger action probably next year now with COVID having affected so many different things. Um, and I think it's going to take companies like us to start demanding corporate change and demanding even shopping centres to remove the fragrances that they're pumping through and public bathrooms and, and offices and, and Ubers, for goodness sake. Like every time I get in an Uber, I feel like I'm going to pass out for 20 <laughs> minutes on the journey. The fragrance is so strong in there. But, you know, that sort of stuff I think we as companies need to then start to um, take more corporate action on and, and work together to make some change. As far as consumers go, um, there's a couple of things you can do. You can certainly start, you know, making petitions on something like change.org and start with something like your favourite brands, writing letters to them, getting signatures, making a petition on change.org, starting to to ruffle some feathers is a really good idea. Uh, you can go to your shopping centres and demand the same thing, your childcare centres or wherever else you're finding fragrance that's offensive. In California, they're, they're really making some interesting moves to um, demand transparency of brands in terms of fragrance and ingredients and so on in the cosmetics industry. So I'd really be backing stuff like that because we know that even though that movement might be starting in the States, that A, we can get on board and start to make some rumbles in the cosmetics and fragrance industry generally, which will start to kind of filter down. And B, it does motivate people to start those types of demands from our own government in our own country or from from other brands and so on in our own country. There's also the campaign for safe cosmetics. Again, that's in the States, but you can sign up. They have they do a lot of change.org petitions. I believe they've also been involved with the Johnson and Johnson talcum powder lawsuit or at least providing some education around that. So they're really good and have so much information on their website. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. There's a few others which I'm sure we have links to on our website, um, but the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics is a really good place to start if you want to see how else you can take action. And as far as what's happening in Australia, I think because there's no corporate action happening yet that I know of, and if I'm wrong, I hope someone will email me or call me, I just think we just need to um, talk with our friends and as groups of people and as groups of concerned consumers, write letters to them, call them, tell them we're not happy and see if we can make a little bit of a dent in their profits, even on their social media and things like that and start demanding more. It's It takes a while, but we've got to start at some time because the longer you take to start, the longer it's going to take to make the changes. Exactly. You just spoke earlier about the Johnson & Johnson baby powder class action. Yeah. Do you think that this is the way the perfume industry is headed, that we're going to be realising decades later the damage that they've done? Yeah. I mean, if you look at most industries, 
There's situations like this in most industries. So we've seen it in with Johnson & Johnson talcum powder. And to be frank, I knew about asbestos in talcum powder when I started my first business in this industry in 2001. So we're talking 19 years. And if I knew it as a small-time little boutique natural product retail stores, and I knew it 19 years ago, so that means probably that information has been out there for another 10 years before that. So meantime, people have been using that product. And again, we're talking like before 25, 26 years using a product that's toxic. Nobody telling you that information not being out there for people to easily access and we're causing serious, serious harm to people. So it's the Johnson Johnson talcum powder. It's the recent one with Roundup um, as well. So round, they've not obviously not claim, not declaring that, yes, you're right, our product is toxic, but they're paying people out for the same types of cancers. Um, Which implies that, doesn't it? Implies, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to say, okay, I probably should stop using Roundup because if that's not an admission of guilt or uh, culpability, then I'm not sure what we're waiting for. We've seen totally. it with tobacco. Yeah, we, we see it with asbestos in the building industry. So all industries have um, pockets of this. Do I see it happening in the perfume industry at large? It's hard because perfumes are made up of so many ingredients. It's probably really hard to pinpoint which one, for example, or which combination is the one doing the damage. So it's probably a little trickier. And as you know, again, if you've read things that I've written or listened to what I've spoken about, it's not just the individual ingredients, but it's even the combination of ingredients together that that fortifies the toxic effects, you know, one of the other. It almost becomes like a third ingredient and it's it's causing damage. I think it's there's definitely going to be more action in the cosmetics industry, but I do also think that companies are going to very slowly wake up and just start to steer their ship in a slightly different direction. We'll probably see them start to drop off certain ingredients just quietly because they they're probably suspecting that there may be a class action down um, down the road somewhere. So I'm hoping that before it comes to that, that we see some pretty drastic change. But history would say things don't change until they get pretty hairy. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't really answered your question because who's got a crystal ball? But I can definitely see that in the cosmetics industry, this is going to become more and more of a problem as people start to realize that they're all suffering from similar effects from using similar products. Yeah, I can see it still happening. Exactly. The writing is on the wall. Yeah, I think so. It feels like the clean beauty movement is really having a moment right now and even big brands like Dove, they're releasing aluminium-free deodorants. Why do you think that the fragrance industry has been so much slower to come around to this idea? Yeah, it's probably some of the things we've touched on, like people's, um, well, look, I think the emotional connection to fragrance is probably having a really big effect on that because fragrance is so personal and it's not, you know, we can probably quite easily give up the face moisturizer that we use or the, the deodorant. You know, if you talk to your girlfriends and they love a product that they're using, it's quite easy to make the switch to something else. Fragrance is it almost feels like an extension of our own character or personality or life experience. So that's probably a much harder nut to crack. And I suspect companies know that from a marketing point of view, that they've probably got to pour in a lot more marketing dollars to convince people to to buy a new type of perfume, let alone a new fragrance. So that's probably part of it. Uh, I think also, though, it's because fragrance is the, the tail end of the dog. So Clean has, and I hate the word clean, by the way, because it kind of means nothing. Like I could say it's a clean product and all I mean is, you know, maybe it doesn't have fragrance or I can say it's a clean product and maybe I've just removed sodium lauryl sulfate. It doesn't actually have a meaning. So just be really- interesting. Yeah, be really careful with the term clean because it doesn't actually have a defined meaning. Uh, I mean, ideally clean would mean it doesn't contain anything synthetic or anything harmful. But if you look at most so-called clean brands, they are essentially choosing your poison for you. So that's probably a conversation <laughs> interview for another time, Lucy. Yeah, another yeah. blog post. <laughs> another blog post or interview for sure. Um, 
so I think, well, look, I think clean fragrance is coming around actually. I, I, I'll probably just not quite agree with your statement because if you look at Sephora and even Mecca, they both have at least, I know in Australia, at least one. And I think in the States, Sephora has four or five now what they call clean fragrance, clean fragrance brands. They even have a clean fragrance section. So if, if Sephora and Mecca are starting to introduce a clean fragrance category, then you know that that's starting to become something on people's radar. I think it's hard to do natural perfume or cleaner, let's call it cleaner fragrance well, because our noses and our our olfactory systems have been conditioned to appreciate fragrance in a certain way for a hundred years. So it causes Mm -hmm. a little bit of a, a shift in people's perception or expectations when you take out synthetic ingredients that have been used for so long. It's um it's almost like a palate change, like when you give up sugar and you know nothing tastes right or salt, and then after three or four yeah. days, suddenly everything takes on this brand new flavor you never knew existed when you've got used to it. So I think there's a few elements in that way that's making natural or cleaner fragrance take longer to have an impact. But I would say, and I'm not a great futurist, but my prediction is that in the next 10 years, I would say that 50% of the fragrances you'll find at Mecca and Sephora, not necessarily at department stores, but Mecca and Sephora would probably be clean or cleaner or natural fragrances. I think consumers are definitely starting to look for those brands. And when they find ones that they love, they become really loyal to them. And and we certainly have seen a lot of people make the switch from synthetic fragrance to natural because they've found one or two or three fragrances in our collection that they are obsessed over. Um, And it's just making that connection with people, letting them find a fragrance that they love, that it feels like an extension of themselves and that, you know, and then obviously when they know that we're transparent and we're taking care of their health, it gives them more reason to connect. So I do think it's up and coming, but absolutely the tail end of the dog. So it's going to take longer. But yeah, there's brands coming out, I would say, every few months um, who are producing natural or more clean fragrances so it's definitely becoming a thing but slowly in terms of clean fragrances and synthetic fragrances and natural fragrances what are the biggest differences with purchasing a natural fragrance we've spoken before about having to adjust our expectations when switching to a natural perfume specifically because you can't create a like for like product when you're not using synthetics in terms of clean fragrances and natural fragrances and versus synthetic what are the biggest differences so clean as I mentioned clean doesn't actually mean anything clean is purely a marketing term I don't even know where it started to be honest but it's only obviously been a recent occurrence where people have started using the term clean Uh, I think probably actually it started in clean food, so where people were trying to eat foods that were whole, wholesome, preservative-free and so on. And I think in terms of food, clean as a concept probably works a little bit – a little bit more clearly and is a little bit more defined. In terms of cosmetics and fragrances, clean can mean anything. So I wrote a blog post a little while ago about clean fragrance, which is on our journal if anybody wants to refer to it. But I said something like, I can say my product is clean and I can just – you know, not include car tires and giraffe tears and, you know, random things and say that it's clean. But I haven't actually – made a statement about anything and I haven't actually excluded anything that's harmful. So the word clean, I would be really, really wary of and I'd absolutely be erring on the side of caution for brands that say clean fragrance, clean cosmetics, whatever. I'd be doing the same investigation that I'd be doing with companies that aren't saying clean at all, that are just fully synthetic or just conventional. So clean, again, clean can just mean They've excluded certain ingredients, but it doesn't mean that they're not including other toxic ingredients or potentially harmful ingredients. Natural 
natural ideally means that the product contains nothing synthetic at all, but you've got to look for terms like 100% natural as opposed to natural. Because if you, I can go to any supermarket and find a product on the shelf, let's say shampoo, for example, classic one, and it will say natural care or natural this, natural that, and have pictures of petunias on the front or it'll say with vanilla bean whatever and the marketing is so crazy that I can buy a two dollar bottle of shampoo that says natural something and has nothing natural in it or it's just got the scent of vanilla which is probably not even natural vanilla but it feels natural to us because it resembles vanilla and it's not natural at all. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at natural. It's got a picture of yeah vanilla on the bottle yeah, or something like that. That's right. And then they've used synthetic. But um, what I'd be looking for if you want to find an actual natural product is something that says 100% natural or something like a, a statement that says contains nothing synthetic, something like that. So make sure it's really well defined rather than just looking at the term natural and, and assuming then that means it is a natural product. It's not a statement or a sentence that's governed by anybody so it really can literally be used as a marketing term so got to again delve a little deeper with all of these things so essentially most perfumes on the market are fully synthetic these days um, I would say that 95% of the products that you'll find whether it's the department store or it's um, pharmacy or wherever else 95% of them are going to be 99% to 100% synthetic so that means if they say wildflowers or vanilla or peaches all they're talking about is things that may smell like that like the same way that when you buy a bag full of candy bananas at the supermarket. We know that there's no bananas in those. It's the same kind mm-hmm. of thing. So so that's synthetic. Synthetic can sound like it's natural in the marketing, but actually every ingredient is formulated in a lab. They may or may not use some naturals in some of the more expensive or high-profile products. They can sometimes use naturals um, to bolster the complexity of the scent. For example, they may be using natural bergamot, but then other ingredients that will um, you know, change the scent of the bergamot or enhance certain aspects of it or so, things like that. So that happens as well for some of the more expensive brands, but even most of those brands that you're paying $400 for are almost entirely synthetic. So you've got to be really clear about that. So what you were saying in the beginning, Lucy, was you just kind of thought fragrances, some essential oils, maybe with a little bit of something synthetic thrown in a bit of alcohol, but it's actually the opposite. You can think of 99% of the fragrances out there or 95% being 100%, up to 100% synthetic with potentially a drop or two of something natural but that's not a given either. So, yeah, we've got to change the way we think. But, again, it, just because it says natural on the bottle, you've got to investigate that a little more clearly. Yeah. It's terrifying. But It shouldn't uh, be. I'm glad that we, we, have this, <laughs> we have this knowledge now and, um, and that we can share it with, with your listeners and other people who are like-minded to me um, who want to take control of their health and wellness. Yeah, totally. So, Thank you so much for sharing, Liz. I really appreciate that. That's my pleasure. Thank you for, for chatting with me, Lucy. And I just, um, I don't want anybody to feel like this is scary. I just want to help people pry open that can of worms and when they're ready, they can take the next step. But it's been a real big pleasure to um, to talk to you about this and um, help you and everybody else investigate what they're using a little bit more. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks so much, Liz. Unconscious is presented by One Seed. Find out more at oneseedperfumes.com.